Well, hey, good morning. How's everyone doing? Good, good to hear, good to hear. Uh, listen, uh, I didn't catch the very beginning of the service, but uh, I can tell you today has been uh, quite an exciting day around here. Uh, we walked in and uh, there was some kind of surge that uh, hit every you know, piece of equipment in this, uh, this auditorium here. And so I'm just so thankful for just kind of that calm uh, presence and leadership that uh, Darnisha and David and, and the rest of the team, uh, as they got things back up and running. And so I'm just so thankful for them uh, this morning. So thank you so much for being here. I have a few announcements for you. Uh, this morning that I got to get through. Uh, the first is uh, in terms of giving. I just want to thank you so much for the generosity that you've shown Bay Life uh, this year. And I want you to remind you that we don't pass, pass plates here. Uh, you can give at uh, baylife.org give, or if you're here in the room, you can give at the back um, receptacles back there. All right, here's what I need you to do. I need, this is going to sound weird, but I need you to pull out your phone. So everyone just go ahead and pull your phone out. Show them to me. Oh, very nice. Nice phone. Okay. Some of you aren't pulling your phone out. Go ahead. Pull your phone out. I need you to go to the web browser, and I need you to type in baylife.org slash survey. Baylife.org slash survey. Now, I know a few of you have already done this, uh, but if you haven't, if you could just take a moment right now, this next uh, two, three minutes, it will take you less than five minutes to fill this out. Uh, it's a, just a survey for us to see how you interact with us as a church. It just has a couple questions. And it's also going to help us kind of clean out the database uh, and clean up the database, uh, to be honest. Now, some of you are like, well, wait, I've been going here like 20 years and I haven't moved. My digits haven't changed. Please just go fill it out anyway because there's a couple questions we want to kind of get your input from. Thank you so much for doing that uh, right now. All right. This week, we have some breakthrough groups that are starting up. Uh, there is grief share. There's anger management. There's emotional fitness. If you would like some more information on those groups, on the times that they're meeting, when they're starting up, uh, you can find that in the bulletin, the weekly bulletin, which is online. Uh, or you can go to uh, baylife.org breakthrough, and you can sign up for those groups there as well. Next week, we have Family Fun Factory, uh, which is next Sunday uh, from 3 to 6, and that's going to be here underneath the lid. If you have a student in elementary school, your whole family is invited to come and join us for that. Uh, we're going to have hamburgers, hot dogs, desserts, ton of fun. There's going to be some family challenges. A great way to get to know some of the other young families here in the church and get to know the children's team as well. Uh, and it's done by 6, which next week the Bucks play, I think, 7.20, so you'll be able to get home in time for the game. It'll be perfect. But you can go to baylife.org slash FFF to register for that. So if you say that, it's baylife.org slash something like that. Uh, and sign up for us. We just need to know how many people are coming so that we have enough food for everyone. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next weekend and next afternoon. All right, that's it. There we go. Uh, so I'm going to start this morning with a, a parenting fail. Uh, just uh, a moment in my life I wish I could take back, but it's out here. Um, 2015, December, almost seven years ago, I hopped into the car with my daughter, uh, Tegan, and my wife, Nicole, and we were headed to the airport. Uh, it was very early in the morning before rush hour had started, uh, admittedly, now this doesn't excuse it, but admittedly that's not my best time. 
I, I wake up around one o'clock, and that's where I really got, get energy and, and, and stuff. I'm, I'm awake before then, but I'm not awake. You know what I mean? It's like things aren't functioning very well. And so we're headed to the airport. We're driving there. And as you can imagine, Tegan is so excited a weekend away with her mom and to see her grandparents and so excited about this weekend. And I turned back to her sitting in the seat and I said this about halfway through our journey. I said, you remembered your ID, right? To which she answered, no. To which I went, why not? To which she said, and this makes sense, uh, I wasn't planning on driving in Phoenix, and I didn't want to lose it. Now, what followed for the next 20 minutes uh, were really 20 minutes that I wish as a dad I could take back. Uh, it started with, oh my head, are you serious? As we're driving, and it just kind of went downhill from there. Like that was the launch point, right? Uh, how could you forget your ID? And I just kept going and kept talking. Now, you might be sitting out there and go, well, what were you we thinking? Uh, that's a really legitimate question at that moment. Here's what I was motivated by. I was motivated by frustration. I was seeing inconvenience. I was seeing the fact that I would have to leave the airport, drive all the way home, get her ID, and then drive all the way back in rush hour, right, to hopefully get there in time so that she could still make her flight. And then I was thinking financial. I'm like, what if I don't get back in time? I mean, rush hour is kind of, you know, hit or miss certain ways. And so I was like, oh, man, I'm going to have to pay to, you know, switch over this flight. And I don't want to pay more money for this flight. That stinks. And then I was mad at myself, you know, like, how could you not teach her that she would need her ID when she went to the airport? And then I was mad at her. Like, how could she not know, right? And so all this stuff is just kind of flowing out of my mouth. And, and I am talking and talking, and I've made my point, but I just feel like I haven't used enough words, you know, so they just keep coming. Does any other parent know what I'm talking about? Okay, yeah. And, and it is just flowing through. And then I pull into the airport, and I look in the rearview mirror, and what I see is my daughter is silent in the back seat, wiping away tears. And that's the moment I was like, oh, I may have blown this moment. I may have said too much. Yeah, I made my point, but I left wreckage in her life. And so we have our awkward goodbyes, you know, like, oh, have a good time. So, you know, that, that moment as they leave, and I, I drive away. I pull away from the airport. I'm thinking, okay, I got to get back. Got to get the ID. Got to get to Riverview. Get to the house. Let's do it. And I'm driving, and I'm flying down the highway, and I get this text from Nicole. And it says this. Turns out, she didn't need her ID since she's still under 18, so not a big deal. Right? And then the next text says this. Forgetting her birthday this morning? That was kind of a big deal. Oh, yeah, right? That's exactly how I felt in that moment. I'm like, oh, it is her birthday. Yeah. It's amazing how powerful words can be. It's amazing how powerful words can be. They can set the landscape of our lives on fire. They can be remembered for years. Uh, today we're going to take a look at what the book of James says about our words in chapter 3. Uh, but before we do that, will you join me in praying for our time together? Let's pray.
Father God, we come to you this morning truly in need of a word from you. Uh, Lord, I ask that you would just move me out of the way. I pray that you would take over uh, and make your words flow out of my mouth. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would have free reign on our hearts today. You would encourage us where we need to be encouraged. You would challenge us where we need to be challenged and convict us where we need convicting. Do your work in our hearts today as we study. Uh, we love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So James chapter 3, verse 1 starts off uh, telling us we need to speak with care and humility. We need to speak with care and humility. Take a look at verse 1. It says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. James is asking for moderation and restraint in the multiplication of teachers. Now, in James' day, uh, Jews had a practice regarding uh, teachers. They, re they regarded them with great awe and gave them much honor. And so too many newish Christian, new Jewish Christian believers were aspiring to teach and to carry the rank and respect that was often given to the rabbis of that day. In the synagogue, the service allowed for the opportunity for men to stand up in the congregation and address the entire congregation. And so Paul, uh, in the New Testament, would take advantage of this in his missionary journeys. When he would go into a new town, he would go to the synagogue and he would rise and he would speak. The early Christians carried this practice over into their meetings of the early church. And so much latitude was given for people to stand up and teach. And the result was that there were many people standing up who were not qualified either with the ability or with the knowledge of Scripture or were not living by what they were teaching. They were only standing up so that others could see them and so that they could gain respect and some kind of notoriety or glory. And James is warning them. He's saying, hey, listen, teachers receive a stricter judgment. Now, I don't know about you, but here I am standing up in front of you, and that really, as I was reading this week, that strikes fear in my heart. Uh, there are those of us around here who aspire to be teachers. Uh, we're going to be judged more strictly, Scripture says. James is saying that our lives need to match with our words, and our words need to match with Scripture. And so where does that leave us as a church well, before you decide to teach or lead that next study or dominate that life group uh, with all the wisdom, stop, reflect, ask yourself a couple of questions, simple questions. Am I doing this so that others will see me and give me a pat on the back? Or is my motive to help people become more like Jesus? Am I teaching what Scripture truly says here? Uh, am I living what I am teaching? And can I admit where I'm struggling while I'm teaching. Because our speech reveals more about us than we care to admit. Our speech reveals more about us than we care to admit. Look at verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. I love the fact that James uses the words, we all. In other words, he includes himself in this. He says, hey, we all struggle, including me, and using speech the right way. 
The term here, perfect man, can be translated fulfilled, mature, or complete. Uh, In other words, if you don't struggle in what you say, you are maturing in Christ. Now, as I was preparing to teach this uh, this last couple weeks, Mark had let me know that he was going to be gone this this weekend. Um, His father-in-law is celebrating his 90th birthday, and his father-in-law's twin is in town, so they're having like a family gathering and celebrating the 90th birthday. So he's like, hey, can you preach for me this weekend? He told me this a few weeks ago, and and I had just done the college and career retreat uh, where we went whitewater rafting and ziplining, and we were up in uh, South Carolina, and we had studied the book of James together. So I was like, oh yeah, no problem. I I got a passage I've been looking at. It's amazing as you're preparing to do something like this and you're reading passages like this, how much God kind of points out, hey, you still kind of struggle with this too. In fact, here's where uh, my classroom is. Uh, I find myself struggling more and more in this setting. So if someone cuts me off, I kind of sense this uh, coming up. If someone doesn't go when the light turns green because they're reading their phone, if someone doesn't get out of the left lane because, you know, they're not going the speed of traffic, uh, if someone drives with their flashers on, I find myself uh, getting frustrated. Now, I've matured. Uh, I don't give people, you know, like the finger or anything like that. I do the Christian version of that. You know, we use all 10. What are you doing? It's kind of the same intent, but we just say it a different way. In fact, my kids will tell you a lot of times our conversation in the car, I'll be telling a story or talking to them, and they'll include like, hey, do you see what that guy's doing? He's like, look at that guy, right? And so it's me just, and my son, Rylan, pointed this out to me. We were driving up in Tallahassee, and we are driving up there to drop him off, and he was like, Dad, every one of your stories includes, do you see what that guy's doing? Like in the middle of it. I don't know if it's part of the story, and then I realize, oh, you're talking to the cars around you. We all struggle, James says. I'm so glad he uses the term we. But here's what James doesn't say. So don't worry about it. So just go ahead and keep doing that. No. James says we get to keep working on it. We, we get to be different. We get to change. The idea that everyone else struggles with it doesn't fly for those of us who are believers. James admits it's a problem, it's an issue, but he's saying, listen, we need to change. There needs to be a difference in our lives. Uh, We live in a culture where people say whatever they want, Uh, a place full of insults. Now, if you don't believe me, post a uh, semi-controversial opinion online and see what comes back to you what the return tweets are, and the language that is used. And James is saying we as believers need to be different. Scripture says our speech reveals our heart. In fact, in Matthew 15, verse 18, it says the things that come out of our mouth come from the heart. It reveals our character. It reveals our maturity in Christ. You want to know if a man or woman has been changed, listen to the way in which they talk. And we deflect this a lot. (laughs) We say things like, oh, that's not really me. I I don't normally rant like that. But guess what? It came from your mouth, which means it came from your heart, which means that actually is you. And the truth is, our speech reveals more about us than what we care to admit. But the fact is, our speech is powerful. It's powerful. 
In fact, it can direct our lives. It can set our course. It can set our chart. Look at this passage in verse 3. We put, uh, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Now let's deal with the first two illustrations. The horse, it's a great and powerful animal. Uh, it sometimes has a mind of its own. I remember the first time I was going to go horseback riding, I was up at some camp and we're walking through the horses as they're attached to kind of the fence area. And I'm seeing the horse that they're looking at me for and they're, it's kicking like crazy. I'm like, I don't think I want to get on that thing, right? And he's like, you've ridden a horse before, right? I was like, no. He goes, oh, okay. How about this guy? Right? We hop on that thing. And what I found is because of the bit, it is controlled and directed by that bit. And so you can not really know much of what you're doing, but if you figure out how to uh, be in control of that, you're in control of the whole animal. It's kind of the steering wheel of the machine. And so this big, huge beast will go where you want it to go. The rudder. James had probably observed many ships on the Sea of Galilee or in the Mediterranean, which were driven by the strong winds. And yet still today, the rudder is small compared to the whole ship, but it charts the course for the whole vessel, whether it's drawn by the wind or moved by motor. Likewise for us, the tongue directs and controls our body, setting us on the course in which we shall travel. In the 70s, I had one of those uh, banana seat bikes. Anyone remember those things? Right? Uh, it, it was pretty much the average bike in my neighborhood. A lot of us had them. And uh, we went exploring wherever we want. I grew up in the suburbs just outside of Chicago. And basically from my home, you could go three miles in either, any direction. And that was kind of our boundary, right? We could go wherever we wanted to go because we left the house and our parents had no idea where we went. And so we would just pedal and just take off. And we had this incredible forest preserve about a mile from our home. It's a very small little preserve in the middle of this built up subdivision, you know, uh, suburbs and stuff like that in Chicago. And we were out there pedaling like crazy, having a blast, hitting the trails, all of us on our little, you know, banana seat bike. And we came up upon a small creek. Now, there, this creek is about four feet wide kind of a creek deal. And uh, we came upon these older kids. Now, they had uh, the much cooler Mongoose BMX bike, which had just come out kind of in their time. And uh, they, we were watching them jump the creek on their bikes. And we just sat and we we're like, oh, wow. You know, they're coming down this incredible hill, uh, hill for Illinois. Uh, and they'd hit this ramp and they'd go across, you know, this, this uh, little creek. And we're like, whoa. And we sat and watched them for quite a while. When finally I turned to my friend and I said, I could do that. <laughs> to which he wisely ignored me, right? And so I figured, well, he didn't hear me, so I'll just say it a little louder. And so I was like, I could do that. To which he ignored me again. However, one of the older kids heard me. And they thought, oh, this will be great. And they're like, hey, banana seat bike, yes, you're up. And I was like, oh, 
oh, you heard me, okay. And, he's, and, I, and I paused for a second, and then all of a sudden, you know, all three or four of them were like, yeah, let's go, you can do this, do it. And I'm like, all right. So here I am trudging up this hill with my banana seat bike, and I'm, I'm going up the hill, and I'm thinking to myself, how did I get here? <laughs> what? How did this happen? Like, what am I thinking? What am I doing? I got up to the top of the hill, and, you know, for Illinois being so flat, it was actually pretty high up. And I'm looking down going, I'm going to have a lot of speed, but am I going to make it across that river? And I thought, what am I going to do, right? I'm standing up there, and they're all yelling at me, let's go, banana seed, come on! And I'm thinking to myself, okay, all right. And I, then I see it. Off to the right of the, of the creek, there's this little path that we had missed all day. And I thought, you know what? I could just get all that momentum going, and I'll just come down, and I'll just swing on that path. And before they could get on their bike, I'll almost be out of the forest preserve. I mean, I, I probably could get home before they catch me. This would be no problem. And so I pedal as fast as I can, you know, and I'm coming down this hill as fast as I can. And I turn, and I look, and I go, psych! You know, like, ah, I got you. And what I didn't realize was there was a tree about this wide that had fallen into the path right? And I didn't see it until, you know, psych, and as I turn around, it's that moment, it's like everything slows down, you can see it, but there's nothing you can do about it kind of moment. And I hit the tree, that massive trunk. Now, if you know anything about the banana seat bike, it has this U-shaped handlebars, which is great because it doesn't stop you from flying off the bike <laughs> when you hit something like that. And so I hit the tree, and next thing I know, I'm through the handlebars, and I'm doing Superman there, <laughs> And luckily, there was this beautiful thorn bush that cradled my fall, right? And so I go right into this thing, and I come up, and I'm dirty, and I got, like, these thorns and these red spots all over me, and I'm like, oh. And these kids start like I made their day. These kids start laughing, and they, they go off, and I'm just like, oh. There was a lady walking by. Now, what happened to my bike, my front tire was where my back tire should have been. So like I had hit it at a speed where it jammed my tire behind my back tire. Yeah, and so she pulls out her shoe and starts hammering my tire. And as a 10-year-old, I remember thinking, I don't think that's gonna work. <laughs> so what started off as an incredible day exploring with friends, going wherever I wanted to go, ended with me walking a mile home carrying my bike about to have a conversation with my dad about how I ruined my bike. Our tongues set our direction. Our tongues set our course. I would have been fine if I had just kept my mouth shut. Look at verse 6. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person. It sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. James is really encouraging here, isn't he? The word hell here is actually Gehenna, which is a place that was south of Jerusalem. Uh, and at the time of this writing was a place where uh, there was a continuous burning of rubbish, which made it kind of this fitting illustration for the lake of fire. James is telling us that the tongue has incredible potential for evil. Have you ever been to a forest where a fire has hit it? And you've kind of seen some of the destruction that took place? 
Uh, growing up just outside of Chicago uh, in school, we were ma very, made very aware of a date in history. October 8th, 1871, which is the day of the great Chicago fire. Now, I'm not going to debate whether the cow kicked over the lantern or not and caused the fire, but the great Chicago fire started in the O'Leary barn or the O'Leary family shed, and it destroyed, destroyed the city. Over 100,000 homeless, over 17,000 buildings destroyed, uh, 300 people dead, 400 million in damage in that day. That's a fire. That's destruction. 150 years later, you can kind of still see the scar on the city. You can go right downtown and you can visit the old water tower, which is one of the old, only buildings to survive the fire. And kind of a bit of irony, it was the pumping station for, for the water to put out the fire. And what happened in the fire is that the roof collapsed, the structure remained, but the roof collapsed in such a way that the pumps weren't working so they couldn't put the fire out. And so it sits there downtown as a reminder of the damage that a fire can cause. James is saying this is the kind of damage that we can do to our church. This is the kind of damage that we can do to other people with our words. We, we can destroy lives. We can leave people wasting away. Uh, the nursery rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. James says that's far, far from the truth. Think of the fires we start and the destruction we can cause with our speech. A heated answer, slander, bragging, lying, mocking, gossip. Heard someone describe gossip as talking about someone with somebody and neither of you are part of the solution or part of the problem. But, wow, that's a pretty good definition. How many lanterns have we knocked over? And fires have we caused. We were sitting in staff meeting on Monday, uh, pastors and directors meeting. We were over in the loft and sitting in the couches that are kind of in the back of that room. And we were talking and we had just kind of finished our meeting. And I, so I asked this question. I said, hey, I'm speaking on James 3. Can, can any of you remember a hurt from long ago, like words that were spoken that you still remember? You know, maybe more than five years ago that where you can kind of still put yourself right back in that place. And I said, I'll, you know, I'll start. Uh, I can remember being on top of the slide in the playground. It was a windy day, and I got to the top of it, and someone yelled up to me, hey, Dumbo, be careful. You might fly away. And I remember all the eyes of the playground going, who's on the slide, right? I didn't know I had big ears until that moment. Like, I was like, oh, are mine bigger than theirs? Oh hurtful, right? But some of the stories that our staff shared just stopped us cold in our tracks. Like, wow, someone said that to you? Wow. In fact, some of the staff couldn't share theirs because the wound was still there. The pain of it was still there. It might have been more than 10 years ago, but when they thought about it, it was like it was yesterday. And so I got some emails after that meeting going, hey, I, I just couldn't bring myself to talk about this, but here's mine. How many of you can remember 
a mom, a dad, a family member, a friend, saying something hurtful to you, yet still today. We remember those moments. Some of us still have wounds from people who have long since died, and yet they have influence on our life today. The question becomes, if we've been wounded like that, why would we want to carry on that tradition with our kids, with our loved ones? Our words can cut people down. They can cut people out. Uh, we live in a world where, a, where our culture kind of slices and dices people. And yet Jesus invites us to be different. Uh, men, we, our words kind of come out like a machete. We wield them like a machete. We use small, simple statements to kind of cut people down, right? You're ugly, you're stupid, you're dumb, you're no good. We kind of leave bodies everywhere when, when we get, get rolling. Uh, ladies, typically you don't use a machete, uh, you use paper. Uh, you use a little, little anyone like, oh, you're going to wear that. Hmm. Hey, it's really good to see you in church today. I didn't know you still came. Hmm. Thousand paper cuts. Matthew 12, 36 and 37 says that we are going to have a conversation with Jesus about the words that we use with others. Words can wound people. We've got to be careful. For some of us, we may use too many words. Uh, some people just can't stop talking. I mean, if they could pull up, they could probably cause a lot less destruction. You know, hey, have you heard about Bill? He turned his life around and came to Christ. We're like, oh, that's so great. Yeah, I know. I mean, he finally got off crack cocaine, and they start go tell his whole story, and you're like, hey, I didn't need to know all that. Like, the first part was awesome. I, you could stop right there. That would be great. If we talk long enough, it leads to gossip and sin. Silence isn't going to kill you. Guys, have you ever uh, had this one where your wife uh, asked you, hey, what do you think of this dress? And you started off with, oh, you look amazing. And then you followed it up with, oh, but I like the other dress way better. And you're like, no, no, just stop it. You look amazing. That, that's all you really needed to say there. That's, you, didn't need to, you didn't need more words. I was struggling to remember the date and time of the story that I told you in the beginning with Tegan. And so I, I got a hold of her. And I said, uh, I just started my conversation. I was like, hey, uh, T, do you remember when you and mom were flying to feet? And that's like as far as I got. I didn't even get the word Phoenix out. And she's like, December 3rd, 2015, 5.30 a.m. You mean the time you yelled at me for 30 minutes about an ID that, hey, fun fact, I didn't need. And you didn't wish me happy birthday? Okay. I desperately wanted to say, no, no, no. I meant the other time when your mom and you flew out to Phoenix and I complimented you on your outfit. Right? But I didn't, didn't have that. Words can wound. They can wound. Look at verse 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Verse 9 always kind of leaves me with my mouth open with nothing to say. I, I praise God, but then I mock or curse or slander that which has been made in his image. In other words, I'm cursing someone who shows me a glimpse of God because they've been made in his likeness. And so in effect, I'm cursing or mocking God, the creator of that person, rather than just the creation. James is telling me when I praise God, then curse God by ripping his creation. And it kind of left my heart open a little this week. How many times did I mock God with what I said? 
to the person with whom he loves. Verse 10, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh and salt water flow from the same spring? If I'm claiming to be a follower of Jesus and it's salt water that's coming out of my mouth, that's a pretty good indication that I have the reins on my life and not God. My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt spring produce fresh water. You see, speech is one of those areas in our life that we can fake for a while. Uh, But we're inconsistent. I I guarantee for some of you, when you leave today, someone will step into your path to test this principle. Now, some of you are sitting here and you're hoping, okay, great, we're going to be out of here pretty soon. This is going to be awesome. And I'm going to get to the restaurant. This is going to be great. But you got to go pick up your kids first. And that takes a little while. And then they don't want to go where you said we're going to go. And they're kind of whining and dragging their feet. And then you load up into your car that's been sitting in the Florida heat Uh, And you try and exit this parking lot with many other people in the same five minutes. And you're going to be stopped by our wonderful police officer out there directing traffic. And you're going to get late to the restaurant, waiting in lines that let you know that the rest of the Brandon churches have already let out. You're going to receive horrible service because it's going to be that day. You're going to be hot. You're going to be tired. You're going to be hungry. You're going to have whiny kids and bad service. And you're going to be ready to unload at the person who already can't stand the Sunday crowd because of their tipping habits. And may verse 9 come to your mind. May its warning be put into practice in your speech. May it change how we talk and address God's creation. May it stop us dead in our tracks when we want to think, make us think twice when we're going to unload that skillfully played insult at the person across from us who's created in God's image. May we be different. And while I'm here, let me talk a little about texting. Uh, If James were to write this today, he would probably include text, email, uh, social media posts, uh, areas that we can use wisdom in. I would say this is one of the worst places we can have conflict because you can't understand tone. You're like, did he capitalize all those letters to me? Did, Did they mean that? Have the conversations in person. Posting on social media, people will say uh, behind the keyboard what they wouldn't say in person. Let me ask you, how much salt water have you posted online? What pours out of your keyboard? One of the most interesting truths about those verses that we just read is it seems to be that we have a choice. We could be salt water. We could be fresh water. I have a choice. I can choose to bring destruction or or I can choose to bring life. I can choose to bring healing. Look at verse 7. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea have been tamed um, and are being tamed and have been tamed by man. Human nature can get mastery over all types of animals, land, sea, air. We can make those animals do what we want them to do at times, but we can't get control of our own tongue. The next verse, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You see, we can't do this on our own. Human nature is only going to produce a pattern of speech modeled after human nature. Stuff that glorifies us. Stuff that puts others down. Stuff that delights in their failing. 
but our speech can be controlled with help. You see, it's only when we yield to the Holy Spirit that we move beyond the dangers that James is talking about here. And we move into a place where God can use our speech for his glory. This is when we can change the landscape that we produce with our speech. You see, when the Holy Spirit is controlling our hearts and our tongues, our tongue is even more powerful with what we can speak into others' lives. When the Holy Spirit is controlling our hearts and our tongues, our tongues and our words can bring healing and restoration to others. Our tongues can reveal the maturity and reflect God's grace and God's goodness to others. They can be incredibly powerful in other people's lives. In that same conversation that I had with our team, I asked the follow-up question. I said, well, how about this? Can you remember a time where someone spoke life to you in the past five years? And the stories that came from that were stories of joy and encouragement. Uh, Some of them got into the role they got into because 10 years ago, someone said, man, you're so good at this. You You should explore this a little bit more. Some of them stayed in the role they're in because someone spoke, hey, when you did this, I was so encouraged by it. When you said these things, when you taught in this way, I was so encouraged by it. And they, that was fuel for them to keep going. Conversations that charted the course and direction of their lives. Encouragement that came just at the right moment. I think sometimes we forget to say the things that we're feeling. And we leave an opportunity that sits on the table. Friday night, I went down uh, to a small church uh, down in Tampa uh, for our old teaching pastor, Travis Lowe, and his wife, Mickey. Uh, They were being uh, ordained as deacons into the Anglican church. And so we had a a ceremony down there, uh, an ordination ceremony. He had asked me to be a part of it. He said, Tom, would you read uh, these verses? So, of course, I was like, yeah, I'd love to. And I show up and I read the verses, and that in itself was great. It was wonderful. It was really nice to be a part of on Friday night. But Saturday, as Travis does, because he's so good at this, he sent me a follow-up text. And he just said, hey, man, thanks so much for coming out Friday night. It meant so much to have you a part of the service. We just deeply appreciate the influence that you've had on us over the last few years as we've served at Bay Life. Now, I got to tell you, Friday night was great. But getting that text on Saturday was one of those things that was just such an encouragement to me. I was like, oh, man, that's awesome. And it got me thinking, how many times do we just leave those things unsaid? We look across at our wife or at our child, and we are so thankful that God put them in our lives. And yet we go, oh, they know. They get it. And we miss this opportunity that God has spoken into our hearts to say, no, 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 tell them. Tell them again. Remind them again how proud you are. Remind them again how much you love them. Remind them again you love what God's been doing in their lives. Share with them again. Encourage them. We can have such an incredible influence on other people in such a positive way. You see, when we yield to the Holy Spirit who's telling us In that moment, say it. Text them. Shoot them in the email. Say it. When we yield to that, well, God gets the glory. Because what we're doing is we're encouraging and acknowledging in each other what God is doing in our lives. God gets the glory when we talk to people in that way. 
God gets the glory when we go and we talk with people about the issues that we're having rather than talk about them all around. You see, when we yield to the Holy Spirit, God gets the glory when we challenge and encourage each other to follow after Jesus. When we speak to each other the way in which God wants us to speak to each other. This week, let me ask you, what are the words that you need to say? Who's the person that God's bringing to your mind right now? Like, ah, I need to tell them that. I, I need to encourage them in this moment. I need to tell them what they mean to me and how God's used them in my life. Let me ask you this week, what needs to be removed from your speech so that you can produce this kind of landscape in someone's life? I'm going to close us in prayer. But I want you to know, you have a choice. We have a choice. We, our words are incredibly powerful. Uh, we can choose to burn down the landscape of other people's lives. Or we, can choose, or we can choose to build up and breathe life into them. It's a matter of whether we're willing to yield to the Holy Spirit's power in our lives and his direction in our speech. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you so much, Lord, for this morning. Just the opportunity we have had to just come together and to worship you, to praise you through song. God, help us to see the rest of the week as worship as well. In much the same way as we sing these songs about your goodness and about your grace, we can say the words that reflect your goodness and grace to each other. God, give us insight at the words we need to use. Give us your wisdom and then help us to speak life to each other. Thank you, Lord, that you love us that you, uh, that you understand that, we're, that we struggle with this and yet you're willing to help us grow. It is in your name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Well, amen. Uh, something weird is going to happen today. You're going to get out five minutes early. Uh, we will see you next week and uh, Mark will be back and I'm sure he'll take us five minutes back next week. We'll see you. <clears throat>